Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. And this is Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger, the podcast where we take a long, hard look at some of our favorite action movies from the era of Arnold. Schwarzenegger is the icon of the genre, and we're taking a deep dive into some of these 80s and 90s cult action movies and breaking them all the way down. Tonight is a favorite of mine. I had watched this uh, many times when I was a kid. Yes. So, <laughs> I, so this is a, a newer viewing for me. Somehow, it was a blind spot for me. I uh, were <laughs> before we get. I, I'm sure you have read the name of the yes. podcast episode you're listening to, but we're here to talk about Red Dawn. Red Dawn, the 1984 edition, not the more current yeah. one. And somehow, I remember there being commercials for this on constantly. Yeah, my and memories. And I didn't yeah. watch it. I didn't. I somehow didn't watch it. This and Roadhouse both. <laughs> I didn't. Maybe it was a Swayze aversion to Swayze, and I've I've still never seen Dirty Dancing. You've never seen Dirty Dancing? No. Wow. I? I mean, well, it's it's the love story that didn't materialize in Red Dawn, and we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. It's basically the unofficial sequel of Red Dawn, in my yeah. opinion. Uh, so I'm excited to talk about it because it's a wild movie and a and a, an article of its time. Yes, it is absolutely a product of the era. So um, before we get into all that, I do want to say uh, that Eric is over here drinking wine. It's a yes. new it's a new day for the podcast. I right. don't know that anyone's ever drank wine on a recording session before. Well, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm glad that I am pioneering what a new thing. What, what is it? This is a Columbia Crest Grand Estates Cabernet Sauvignon from 2016. Oh, it's, yes. not, it's not new. No, it's, it's got a little age to it's it. It's got a little bit of age to it. It's from the Columbia River Valley up in Washington State. I oh, love your, your former neck of the woods. Exactly. I love Washington wines. That is where the new Red Dawn is set in Washington State. Oh, is it? I didn't yeah, know that. Which maybe makes more sense that they would start with the coast rather than start right smack dab in the middle of the country. And we'll get we'll get but into we'll, the, the the military yeah, strategy yeah. of this movie as we get into it for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I am drinking a Lee W. Sinclair four grain bourbon. Oh, uh, from Indiana of all places, but they do a lot of uh, bourbon distilling and whiskey distilling in Indiana. And it is tasty as fuck. It's that fourth grain that <laughs> makes it good. It's the fourth it's one got, that does it's it? Got, it's got some oats in it. I didn't hear. Was it a single malt or? Uh... Uh, no, it, uh, I don't know exactly what malt means. I think it means type of grain. So this has got four, four different well, ones. So so like, single uh, yeah. malt, like all scotch. Well, not all scotches. They, they have blends and stuff. Yeah, too, yeah. Good scotches are single malts. Right, right. Yeah, and I don't good, know that. Good Japanese whiskeys are single malt. For some reason, I thought it had something to do with how it aged. Like it was in a single no, barrel I, or I multiple barrels. So. But I don't know. Yeah, I'm not an expert. I'm more of a, a wine sommelier than, okay. a, than a whiskey. <laughs> yeah, but um, unlike Eric's wine, <laughs> this movie may not have aged that well. <laughs> no. I don't know. It It's fun to watch, but I feel like if you weren't alive in the 80s, then it might be like, I don't understand like yeah. the, the hysteria. And like, there was a time in this country that maybe this felt like a realistic plot or like something that m- could happen, some dystopian 
business. I agree. I feel like I, I tried to watch it from the perspective of me being eight years old, you know, and my dad wanting to show me this movie. Um, and it is like as a child of the 80s, I can watch it and, <laughs> and like recognize all the Cold World scare and everything that was going on in the early part of, of my existence. But it is so of its time that you can't watch it within through the perspective of 2023. I mean, yeah, I agree. So it's like, yeah, if, if you, and even, I think you're close enough ish to my age. Yeah. Me and you weren't even too young to be aware during this exact time, but we did grow up watching a million movies. Oh yeah. They were all like this. Oh yeah. I mean like, you know, uh, uh, um, Oh, why am I blanking on the Schwarzenegger one right now? Um, Red Heat? Red Heat, thank you. Yes. Which I mean, we like, haven't done on the podcast yet. So oh, okay. we'll have, have to that, get you know, to that one. Maybe yeah. to, the, to the list. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a million like commies are bad kind of movies. I mean, even after the Berlin Wall well, fell. Well, you had, I mean, to me, the the, the weirdest and most, like the first one that comes to mind is uh, Rocky IV. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, what if he's a Russian? <laughs> what if he's an evil Russian, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Wild and um, all of Bond's villains yeah, were always commies. Cold Warish and mm-hmm. Rambo two and three got like super. Uh, one of my personal favorites. We were just talking about War Games. Yeah, also yeah. was like, yeah, just Red Scare stuff. But then even like, um, I mean, Top Gun to an extent. I feel like there's probably like I don't know who they're battling. It's like the generic, they had red stars on their helmets. Generic bad, yeah. probably commies. Yeah, exactly. Just the commies. It's always the commies. And no retreat, no surrender. Right. <laughs> like, just Van Damme is a random Russian <laughs> martial artist. It's like, what? Yeah. This is weird. Why is he Russian? It's so I, uh, odd. There was, it, it, was, it was just bizarre. Yeah. Right. But yeah. Times. And so even though we were in our youth uh, at the time, our entire movie going experience growing up was steeped in Cold World paranoia. For sure. And so, I mean, you know, all of these things ring really true to me as a child. And at the same time, I kind of chuckle about how unbelievably wrong it all ended up being. <laughs> well, I don't think we knew it at the time that like people in the Soviet Union were just living in complete poverty. Like at the time, you know, they had the propaganda machine going and it seemed like you know, like they were a real threat mm-hmm. and when I think they were just always on the brink of collapse and yeah, then exactly. finally it happened. Yeah, and same with Cuba. Cuba is a is a major player in Red Dawn, one yeah. of the main characters yeah. is Cuban. But I do feel like after the Cuban Missile Crisis, like mid-80s were just peak Cold War hysteria oh, time. Yeah. Um, the leadership of both countries, I feel like we're sort of fanning the flames yeah. for their own like political gain. Like Reagan, I think, was like, this is good for business if we just get people all psyched out. America refused to go to the Olympics in 1980 in Moscow mm-hmm. over like the Afghanistan situation. So then in 84, the year the movie came out, the Russians were like, well, we're not coming to the Olympics in Los Angeles because it doesn't seem safe. Uh, you know, where we worry for our athlete safety, which if you took a movie like this <laughs> and look at it, like I can see how they might be like, you know what? Yeah. They're sort of <laughs> Americans are kind of crazy, but this movie is probably like almost as intense of an example as you can think of, of like the, is like borderline propaganda. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know? But, and uh, you know, as we'll see, as we get through it, there's also this strange kind of anti-war subtext that somehow keeps creeping into it at key moments. Yeah. 
And it, it actually makes the viewing somewhat muddled in terms of what the emotional tenor of the film is supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, it, it fluctuates. It, it does. Vacillates. <laughs> wildly. It oscillates wildly. And I think part of that has to do with the director. Yeah, but I think um, it was a perfect movie for its time and yes. place. You know? I agree. Like it was... It caught lightning in a bottle. I think it came out right at the right time. Like that, they, maybe more so than they even could have known when the when the movie got greenlit. Yeah, you know, because oh, yeah. I think things had gotten even more like sort of hysteric. But um, yeah, as you mentioned the director before, so we'll go back, run through the people behind the yes. scenes on this. So directed by John Milius, who people from the podcast know, also directed Conan the Barbarian. But he's more prolific as a writer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He wrote uh, Dirty Harry and mm -hmm. Dirty Harry sequels. He wrote Apocalypse Now. He wrote 1941, the disastrous <laughs> oh, he Spielberg wrote that? bomb. Oh, that Apparently, I didn't know. Wow. He, he wrote Clear and Present Danger, which is still a solid movie. And I think perhaps most famously, he wrote the USS Indianapolis speech from Jaws. Oh, he did. Like he wrote not the script for the movie, but I think apparently he wrote it on the phone. Oh, like they called wow. him and. I think Spielberg knew him, you know, all yeah. those dudes. He was, Milius was like one of the early USC film grads. Yeah, he came like up with Francis Spielberg Ford Coppola and, and George Lucas, Lucas. Like they all knew each other and then mm -hmm. they linked up with Spielberg. So I think he like just sort of dashed it off off the top of his head over the phone to somebody who was scribbling it down on the set. And then they went and they shot it. And I'm like, that's like in Jaws, that's icon that's the iconic like yeah. dialogue scene. You yeah, know? that's uh, that's that's pretty impressive. That's really cool if that's true. But he's also he's he's notoriously like very right wing pro pro gun pro military. Uh, however, he never served in the military. No, but he apparently sits on the board of directors for the NRA. Yeah, it's to this day even. He also, apparently, the character Walter in The Big Lebowski is based on Milius because <laughs> the Coens were good friends of his as well, and. And you were telling me before he apparently walked around set at all times with a loaded pistol yes, on. Yes, that is what that is what the internet says. That and is I want it to be true. behavior. Yeah, like the whole apparently um, every day on set he had a loaded gun because you never know. You never you know when the commies. That, you might have to kill the key grip, <laughs> or the commies could actually invade. Right. I mean, <laughs> it, you never know in the eighties. So it was written by Milius, but I think the original script was written by Kevin Reynolds. Who got a story by credit. So, yeah, he yeah, definitely I, yeah. did the original script. I think he wrote it as a, he was super young, I mm -hmm. think, and was like either fresh out of USC film school or maybe even still in film school. According to what I read, it, this was his first produced screenplay. Yeah. Yeah. And he went on to more fame maybe as a director. He directed Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and he directed Waterworld. <laughs> <laughs> so he hitched his wagon to Kevin Costner's Oof. star. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Oh yeah. I got it here. He was a film. He was a film school student. And John Milius said that his script was more like Lord of the Flies and had more of an anti-war sort of bent to it. And then Milius overhauled it into the <laughs> hyper jingoistic uh, thing that it became. Yes. And uh, so we got then the movie had less than memorable music by Basil Polidorus. But he wrote some awesome like '80s action scores. He did RoboCop and Conan, oh, and Hunt for Red October. Oh, like, he, wow! He has a good like sort of his his music's always very intense and militaristic, I suppose. Yeah, I'm definitely the right pick for it. But the music was definitely not the most yeah, memorable aspect out. of this movie. Yeah, and very then I, ambient. 
No, yeah, it was yeah, it was just like, oh, okay, I feel like the whatever was playing on the opening credits was pretty good. Yeah. And then I don't remember any music for the whole rest of the movie right, really. Right. I mean, I will say that the opening credits music uh was in a it felt like it was in a major key and so it had like sort of a brightness to it that felt felt yeah. in weird juxtaposition well, it's, for yeah, the it's tone like of a the mili- movie. A cheerful but, military march. Yeah, it was like almost John Philip Sousa ish. Yeah. 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 But what this movie really has going for it is the cast. Oh, my God. I feel like it was like launched a bunch of amazing careers. Had super young uh, Patrick Swayze. Mm-hmm. There is Jed. Charlie <laughs> Sheen is is Matt. Yeah. So and they're brothers. Like these two like really big names that came in. They're yeah. just like kids in this one. And I somehow read somewhere that like they wanted Emilio Estevez to play Jed. I had heard that. Yeah. Which would have I'm like, oh no, this is perfect for Swayze because yeah. he's got that like knack, that yeah. leadership thing about him. Yeah. Um and the first movie ever, apparently, for Charlie Sheen. Oh wow. Uh although I I haven't watched yet. Have you seen Grizzly Two? No, yeah, I have not the movie seen Grizzly that they too. made, and then it sat on. I think it was made in eighty two or eighty three, and sat uh-huh. on the shelf for like forty years because they didn't fit. They never finished post production. Oh wow! And some studio bought it within the last few years and finished it, <laughs> and and put it out. It like stars young George Clooney and like wow. Obviously Charlie Sheen would have been like probably a teenager or whatever. Yeah. I'm like. But it's like a grizzly bear terrorizing like a music festival. Oh, and I'm like, I need to <laughs> fucking see this shit. I need to see that too. I think it's on streaming only, but I'm going to need to make a point to watch it. So and it was a sequel. It was a sequel to Grizzly, which was okay. like a Jaws knockoff. Oh, okay. Of like an animal attack movie that, that which became a like, big rage after Jaws. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in the first one, I remember loving it when I was like a little kid. And I rewatched it recently and I'm just like, oh yeah, this is just, this is Jaws. It's like an animal and how do we stop it and, you know, whatever. But. It was a perfect formula. I mean, I've seen yeah. so many of those, like, <laughs> creature goes rogue and kills everybody movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, see Thomas Howell as Robert, uh, who we know from E.T., I think was his first, like, breakthrough yeah. thing. And then he got the 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 coveted role of Pony Boy <laughs> in The Outsiders, which was one of my favorite ever movies to yeah. watch when I was, like, little. I was watching that all the time. And, um, what oh, and then he did Soul Man, which crushed the career that was um that was a hard choice that was a hard choice to make (laughs) and um who who sold him who advised him to do that oof man i mean my memory of that movie was it's like when it came out going oh i why did they make this movie this seems incredibly (laughs) inappropriate all i know from it would have been from probably like vh1's i love the 80s or whatever they're like (laughs) how the fuck did this happen who allowed this to happen (laughs) but i i think what i know of it is that c thomas howell pretends to be black Mm mm-hmm to get into either an all black school or maybe to get like an maybe to get like a um uh oh, what do you call it affirmative action scholarship or something weird something yeah. in very poor taste yeah I don't remember the specifics anymore uh, the only thing I remember that movie at this point is is like he was in, he black is in face full black face the whole movie unironically unironically yeah <laughs> it's just terrible Oof. idea a lot it's a lot who else well we got Leah Thompson and Jennifer Grey two luminaries of eighties movies yes. Um, Leah Thompson, you know, Marty McFly's mom. Marty McFly, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. She was also in Jaws 3. She was. Which I loved. Oh, wow. And Howard the Duck <laughs> is yes. a, a famously, Yeah, oh, Howard the Duck is a great one. <laughs> I haven't seen that in a long time, and, and then, I, I really want to watch it again. <laughs> yeah, okay. Anyway. I had a big Jennifer Grey crush, especially on mm. her as Ferris Bueller's sister. Oh, that's Ferris right. Bueller's Day yeah. Off. But then obviously, like, her big role of Lifetime was in Dirty Dancing opposite Patrick Swayze. We had um, Darren Dalton also playing the character Daryl. 
who yes. was who was like the big the main bad like soch in the outsiders <laughs> um dude and then filling out the cast was a guy named brad savage as danny who i never have seen in anything else i think this almost was like maybe the last thing or one of the last things he ever did as an actor and then um a dude named doug toby played arturo slash aardvark yeah uh and this was all the peak of his career as well so we've never really done this on the podcast before, but for this movie, they say the characters' names so 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 you, rarely yeah. that on anyone who you're like, well, that's Patrick Swayze. I couldn't tell you what his character name. Like, <laughs> we're gonna call some of the characters by the actor names, um, unless they're an actor who we don't know who they are. Right. Exactly. And then they <laughs> well, the other thing too is that the character names like. All of a sudden, towards the end of the movie, they'll call him by a nickname that we have up to this point never or rarely have heard. Yeah, right. We're like, oh, who is this character who just died? <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm ready. Are you ready to get yeah, down I'm ready, into it? I'm ready to get into it. This okay, is, a, this is a crazy one. Well, the, uh, the movie opens with a little bit of context for why the commies are invading America. And it says, amongst other things, that the Soviet Union suffers the worst harvest in 55 years. Okay. There's labor and food riots in Poland, uh, Cuba and Nicaragua, they grow their troop size to over 500,000 people, yeah. which then results in El Salvador and Honduras falling under communist might. Okay. Um, then the Green Party gains control of the West German parliament and forces all nuclear weapons removed from European soil because it's that easy, apparently. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then Mexico is plunged into revolution somehow. It doesn't explain how. NATO disappears, again, for reasons we don't ever hear about, <laughs> but then it ends with the United States stands alone. Bum, bum, yeah. bum. Ominous words. So we're setting the scene. Then uh, ominous orange text over black screen fades, and we cut to clouds. Yeah. <laughs> Floating through <laughs> clouds. We go through the credits, and we get a John Philip Sousa-esque <laughs> uh, march playing over the opening credits. Yep. And as we land, we get a title card over Western United States landscape that says September. Just I'm not sure that it's ever made clear in the movie, but apparently it's supposed to be set in 1989. Yes, I read that. Some years it, after, so it's a, a couple years from now sort right. of situation. It's a near future kind near of. Near future. Yeah, and they don't ever say it. it it's they never as say I that, remember. though, no, right? No, no, but no. But yeah, I read that. Yeah. So did you. So that's true. It, it is. A additionally, they never really do a good job of establishing exactly where they are, but they're in a small mountain town in Colorado called Calumet. Calumet. Did you look up Calumet? I did. It is a ghost town. It's dead. It did used to be a town, it a did. real Calumet. Yeah. It doesn't quite jibe with some other things that happen later in the movie as far as like landmarks that they show. It's in the southern part of the state, like near New Mexico, yep. which is where the movie actually, actually filmed. was filmed. And interestingly, in the original script, the movie was set in Calumet, Michigan, oh. not Colorado. I didn't see that. And they moved it to... Um, they moved it to Colorado okay. because of some of the changes to the strategy, the the, the Soviet Union strategy. Oh. It made more sense for the movie to take place there than it did in Michigan. I, I like the landscape. Yeah, I think the I landscape agree. and all that, the scenery is a, a strong suit for this movie. Oh, I, I agree. And, and, the and fact it works. That, it's more rugged. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And setting it in winter, too. Yeah. Makes it just, it just really, really makes the survival aspect of it feel a lot more genuine. Right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. But after we've established that we're sort of in the rocky parts of the Western United States, then we cut to a statue of Teddy Roosevelt. 
I'm sure it was a Milius Idol. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. A How hard could he man. not? Yes, exactly. And one of his famous quotes, far better it is to dare mighty things than to take rank with those poor, timid spirits who know neither victory nor defeats. I was trying to find like the origin of that quote, and it seems like he's either said that some version of that a lot. Yeah. Maybe it was like a campaign trail speech I'm or something like that. I'm certain that it was. Because I couldn't, I saw like five different versions of, of this, but it's, you know, just generic tough guy talk. Yeah. And it could also just be absolutely apocryphal too, right? Yeah. Any sort of tough guy talk from that era kind of gets attributed to Teddy Roosevelt a lot of the times. Anyway, we cut to Jed. Patrick Swayze's character is uh, driving his pickup truck, his Chevy 4x4, of that course. That shit was sweet. It's a great like truck. truck. It's a cool-looking truck, man. I know. I was thinking the same thing. But their buddy, uh, or rather his brother, um, Charlie Sheen, Matt, who yeah. you probably never hear his name again, so we'll just call him Charlie. And another kid, uh, Arturo, who's played by Doug Toby. Yeah. Uh, they show up in front of the school, and they, they're making fun of the, the losing game. Was it that they lost the they, game? They just had lost a football game yeah. or something like that. He's and, teasing him about losing. And you think that this is like some throwaway, just brotherly teasing thing, except that if you look at the scoreboard, it says Wolverines on the scoreboard, yeah, right, which right. comes into play, importantly, later. Right? Calumet High Wolverines. That's right. Calumet High oh, wait, Wolverines. That would make more sense for Michigan, too. When yeah. they were supposed to be Michigan based because oh. they were the wolf, like Wolverines is like, I think a more common animal. <laughs> yeah, and, I don't know Michigan. Not, the, I'm not familiar with college Wolverines. mascot yeah. or whatever. But how how old? So I want to talk about how uh, Charlie Sheen is then at youngest a senior in high school. I guess. Gotta believe how old it. are we supposed to think? How old do you reckon Swayze is? I would character. I would assume at this point he's probably three years out of high school is yeah. the way I took it. I thought somewhere like 20 to 22 yeah. or something like that. Somewhere like that. Apparently, dude, Swayze the man was 32. <laughs> really? He, that dude looked good. Man. Wow. He was uh, like whatever. 32. He was living life right. Yeah. So he was. But I, I, I agree with you. I think he was meant to be more like 22. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. Like that. That's crazy. So, oh, wow. That blows my mind. I had no idea. If I had to guess how old he was, I would have said maybe 25 or 27 yeah. at the oldest. So good for him. Man. Yeah, good for him, man. He was Keeping living it together. clean life. So after we get some brotherly playfulness, we cut to a history class where they're talking about none other than Genghis Khan and how he defeated all of his foes. Yeah. And by the uh, unforgettable Frank McRae, <laughs> who's a character <laughs> actor. I love that, dude. He was like, the hard ass in 48 hours, yep. the hard ass boss. Yeah. Yeah. And then he played like a, a character of that same character in the last action hero. Yep, he sure did. <laughs> I love that. He was also Rocky's boss in the meat packing plant. Yeah. Rocky too. <laughs> he's, he's just like this constantly great kind of gruff character actor yeah. who is the classic sort of like, I know that face. I've seen him in a million movies, but I don't know his name. I don't know that I've there. ever seen him not screaming before. You know, like, <laughs> right. That's was, usually his thing is like, he's just real loud. Is that his real voice too? Because his accent, and felt different than what I'm used to, but maybe it's because I've never heard him doing know. anything but he yelling. Never, yeah. <laughs> and, and sadly passed away in 2021, I saw. So rest in peace yeah. to you, Frank McRae. But uh, so this is conveniently enough. Um, uh, Charlie Sheen and Arturo is in class with, uh, with Daryl. And at this point, though, we start hearing the ominous sounds of airplanes flying overhead, though we never do see the airplanes. Yeah. But what's important, though, is is that um, teacher Frank McRae trails off, 
as we start seeing paratroopers land right outside of their high school window. I don't think in my high school we never learned about like Mongol tactics. No, (laughs) it was a little bit on the nose in my mind. Like, uh, I am like, I feel like the teacher is just going off book because we had like world history, but it never got into it. We might have touched on Genghis Khan. Yeah. I don't think it was ever like. Now, how though did he annihilate his enemies or like <laughs> hunt or whatever? I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. It's, we got a feeling they're going to make use of, of the, their lessons that yes. they learned. Uh, interestingly, and maybe this is apocryphal, but I also read that the first image we see of Genghis Khan is actually a caricature of Milius. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Some, one of the, someone on the cast drew him up as Genghis Khan, and Why they use that in I love, the... Uh, <laughs> I love this open, though. Like, just yeah. get right down to business. Oh, yeah, there's no time wasting. Because, right? I mean, in, if, if something like this were to happen, you know, it, it just happens. You're not ready for it. Right, it's not like, right. a, let's set the stage a little more, or like, right. whatever. It's like, no, it's just like unceremoniously it happens totally unexpected so i dig it i agree and they also do a good job i mean we can say a lot about the script and we'll get to it as we get on but one thing i do like is in the down moments they do a lot of backfill explaining where these characters came from Mm -hmm. and they integrate it into what's going on in that moment yeah rather than spending a ton of time up front like building the relationships with these characters before anything happens right sooner or later they will explain like what it is that's even happening right but we do have to wait a while you get you have to take a long time to get there yeah Yeah. for most of the movie well not most of it but i'd say two-thirds of the movie way through before 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 andy shows explained like (laughs) what exactly is happening in the world yeah but anyway, so Frank McRae has one of a couple of just classic <laughs> lines. Yeah. That's uh, my favorite line from the movie. Oh, I my think. God. Well, we'll get to my favorite line in the movie, okay. but this is definitely in the top three. But he looks out the windows, sees a bunch of armed men and machine guns landing yeah. in, the, in the field. And his line is, this is very unusual. It's like <laughs> he kills it with the delivery, too. This is very unusual. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, that was a much better like, delivery. No, I can't even do it so justice. Weird. It's like that's the understatement of the century. <laughs> this is very unusual. And of course what? he does the logical thing, which is rather than going, children, we should hide now, he walks out of the building and right. approaches them. Well, I think so I think he thinks they're Americans. Oh because he says something about they must be off like they must have got lost or something oh, like that. I guess you're right. Like he maybe does there's say a boss, that. Maybe there's a base nearby or something. He thought they were training, but they're not speaking English. No, they're not. They're I couldn't clearly... tell what language they were speaking yet, but they're not speaking English. It's, it appears to be that it's mostly Cubans who invaded yeah, this part of okay. Colorado. So I guess they were speaking Spanish, Spanish at this point. Right. But it's not clear. I agree. But yeah. He wanders out. He's like, hello, friends. <laughs> <laughs> and then immediately is killed. Unceremoniously just mowed down. Oh I hate God. to see him go like that. Yeah. It was too fast. I wanted him to be around a little bit longer because I wanted to hear him yell at people. Yeah. You know? Like at least give him one <laughs> firefight before he dies. It but... was pretty shocking, though. Yeah, it was. Especially if you if you were coming into the movie cold. Yeah. You know, you're like, holy shit. They're, like, they're just killing unarmed guys people who are trying to be friendly yeah you know? absolutely yeah no it was, I, did, I thought it was a really strong way to establish the threat that these invaders pose yeah followed immediately by a rocket being launched into the school right they're <laughs> killing kids like right <laughs> off the bat yeah exactly charlie uh charlie sheen manages to tackle a, a soldier everybody is fleeing through the parking lot 
uh, Daryl and uh, Darren and, and C. Thomas Howell manage to get into a car, but a, a soldier shoots up the engine and the hood breaks open. Sure. And it's crazy. There was no introduction at all for C. Thomas Howell, I think. No, this is no, the, no, no, he no. wasn't even in class. He was right. just like the first time we're seeing him. Yeah, exactly. We'll get to the introductions later. Yeah, we will. Or, or barely. You barely even get introductions, to be honest. And the, and the thing is, is like this movie spends so much time trying to make us care about the human element, but it's been so, it's like, it doesn't, I mean, it does fill backfill a little bit, but we, they don't ever even say the characters' names that often. Right? Yeah. So it's, it's just really, like, yeah. Yeah. I guess there's just so few characters, they almost don't need names. Right. But still. It's yeah, just exactly. Unusual. It's just different. Yeah. It's out of the ordinary. So anyway, Swayze sees all the shit going on and he turns around, comes back to the school Bunch of kids jump in the truck as they uh, as they flee away from the school. Commies are shooting everybody, killing kids <laughs> left and right. Is, and we say the word commie. <laughs> that be like, it's just an easy way to, to categorize, the, lump them all in together. They're right, the exactly. They're, they're, yeah, exactly. We don't mean it like in a necessarily well, like yeah. a... Communism is by its own, by nature evil. <laughs> These guys are just the evil type of communists. We're we're eighties kids who grew up being told constantly that the commies were an unapologetic Absolutely. evil who are taking over the world. And so when we say commies here, we mean it in the eighties action movie <laughs> sense. Right. But yes, yeah, basically every every man for himself, whoever can jump in the back of the truck is like coming right. with us. Absolutely. And then another rocket flies into the school bus and another explosion. Yeah. It blew Big my explosions mind. explosions in this movie too. So and many. Like, all practical yeah. like explosions, like all full size. I don't even yep. think they were used models. No, no models. That's what I read too. Yeah. Everything was done at scale yeah. with stunt people. That's I mean, just expensive. Yeah, it was. I mean, I can't imagine. I feel like half the budget must have been blown just on the the explosions because this is there's a lot of explosions in this movie for sure a lot <laughs> anyway so uh the last person uh danny who's played by brad savage jumps into the truck and that's the uh the last scene we see uh from from the school yes and then we cut to more paratroopers dropping in the calumet and we get this amazing nra bumper sticker that says they can have my gun when they pry it from my cold, dead fingers. <laughs> Which is like a famous, I don't know if it was always the slogan. I know that uh, Charlton Heston said that so, famously at a rally. I was, con- yeah, I was curious about this because the first time I remember hearing it as a kid was Charlton Heston saying it. He's like right? holding a rifle or a gun up. And, yeah, but yeah. this definitely, this movie obviously predates that. Okay. So I looked it up according to Reddit. So take this for what okay. it's worth. But according to Reddit, um, the people who coined it was the Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms, a group uh, that existed in the 70s. Okay. So this has been in the sort of gun-loving community, gun rights community, since the 70s. And okay. it was sort of taken by the NRA and sure. adapted into their, their sort of larger milieu of, of uh, activism. But in a, in a moment of irony or... Yeah, it's not whatever, clear to I'm me. Not sure yeah, so as the camera pans down from the bumper sticker, there's a dead guy with a pistol covered in blood just inches from his hand, yeah. right? Oh, no, I think it was in it. He was holding was the it gun still. Was it still in his hand? It was still oh, in okay. his cold, dead fingers. It was, yeah. And so it's like, the question is, is like, is this an ironic bumper sticker? Because, yeah, a soldier comes by and like pries it from his from hands. From his hands, And That's then it's right. like, when I was watching it, I'm like, oh... This is like showing how futile it is. Like, yeah, you had your gun and a lot of good it did you against like an actual army. Again, you yeah. Know? But I think it was more like Milius being like, 
No, he went down fighting like a real patriot, you <laughs> yeah, know, type that's of exactly. shit. The commie did have to pry it from his gold dead yeah. hand, right? Yeah. I know that was, and that was my take too when I first watched it was, it's like, oh, wow, strong kind of anti-gun futility stance here. But then, yeah, when you do a re- little research on the director, you're like, um, this is the guy who wrote Dirty Harry. <laughs> <laughs> he loves it. Like, go ahead, make my day punk and right, all that type exactly. of stuff. Yeah. Did I fire five rounds or six or... Anyway, so uh, that, that, that transitions to uh, Patrick Swayze speeding into town, and uh, um, the, a tol- soldier tries to get them to that stop. That was weird to me. Yeah. Like, really? You're killing people right and left. You think anyone's going to stop for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought it was also weird. There's, like, barbed wire fencing up everywhere already, and I'm yeah. like, wait a second. They just, like, they were, we're five minutes or less into this thing. I will tell you that this, this movie plays fast and loose with time. I mean, there's a couple <laughs> of things I'll bring up later on where it's like, I'm okay. I'm a little confused right now, but yeah, I was taken aback by the, how quickly the, the, the barbed wire shows up. Were they just chucking barbed wire, like re- bales of barbed wire I out guess, of the planes? I guess so. Just like get them down there as fast as yeah. possible. But we do see, uh, Arturo's father being Arturo! taken. Arturo! Uh, and he was like, oh, wow, Arturo, is, he's, he's a Hispanic and, you know, yeah, it makes right perfect sense. And and um, and his father's being taken hostage. I thought it was it was a, it was actually kind of a poignant moment. I mean, the kid yeah. sells it like his dad is being taken captive and he, he actually is like tries to climb out of the truck and everything. I couldn't tell if he got killed in that moment or just captured or what. But I I can appreciate that, like, there's just a whole lot going on. It's hard to keep track of what's going on. But I feel like we're in the same boat as the characters where we don't yeah. have a clue what's going on. Right. And like, it's just the fog of war right. and who's dead and who's alive and what's hap- what's even happening. So, you know, I'll roll with it. Yeah. Again, I mean, a, a really strong start. I mean, I, in my notes, I'm like, Oh wow, they are getting started fast and I am, I am here for it, you know? But anyway, so they make it out of town and then we cut to the, um, the, the truck filled with all these kids pulling up in front of a general store. As we hear, Jet fighters flying overhead, presumably. Is more, it Americans scrambling? It wasn't clear to me. Guys? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Is this Americans uh, jets scrambling, or do you think it's more bad guys uh, coming in? I feel like it would need to be the Americans because I don't know that the Soviets. I think that's outside of a fighter jet's range to be over Colorado yeah. from Russia. Yeah, and I don't think that the the Cubans and Nicaraguans like had an air force. Well, I mean, with five hundred thousand people strong as as represented, now, yeah, in, in Russia could have had jets in right. mexico like standing by at the border or whatever exactly so, yeah because we find out later that the revolution in mexico which is alluded to in the in the intro crawl was fomented by all the communist nations for sure right. for sure yeah. anyway so i but I, I my read is that it was an american that's uh, the way i took jet. it too yeah yeah but a lot of good you can do really i mean all you're really doing probably is gathering information like or trying to shoot down the the planes that dropped the paratroopers. Exactly, exactly. But it, they're not going to help any of the the, the skirmishes on, on the ground. ground. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Anyway, the the gas station's owned by C. Thomas Howell's dad. Uh, he's trying to explain the situation to his dad, who seems sort of like the way I took it. He was almost like expecting this to happen. Like he was almost <laughs> like he had been waiting for the commies to invade forever. He's uh-huh. like approaches this very calmly. I guess these are people who lived through the Cuban Missile Crisis, and yeah. like the worst of it. So I, guess. I don't know. When they hear it, they're like, "Well, I've been preparing for this," and this is the point at which they first reveal that some of the soldiers are speaking Spanish. Right. So you you at first when you watch the movie, it's like, "Oh, it's the the Ruskies are coming in, they're attacking," but then you find out, no, this is 
It's more. It's a more complicated situation than that. So anyway, uh, Patrick Swayze says we got to get up into the mountains. We got to get out of here. There's a ton of explosions behind them. At which point they go into his general store, which has, I guess, it's basically just an army surplus store because this thing has. It doesn't have anything you need, including like a gigantic barrel of Capri Suns. <laughs> right. Yeah. I know. It's they had a little bit of everything. But everything. when I, I lived in the Grange, there was a little store like this. There was the army surplus store. Oh, it was okay. Like, as a young boy, it was like the coolest store to walk oh, around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Canteens yeah. and then all sorts of fun, like boy stuff and compasses and knives. Oh yeah. And stuff. But they cleaned this dude out. Completely. <laughs> they took everything. I mean, there is stuff. There's not enough room in the bed of the truck for the people and the stuff. And I do love that they take a moment to actually grab a football yeah. because this is America after they all. They were just looting. <laughs> like, this is not a, a necessity. It was funny, but it was also like it's sort of a little touch that gave it a sense of like, this feels kind of real. Like we got to have a, something to pass the time up here. We That's can throw fair. the football around. All I don't right. know. It's something about it made it feel a little less contrived, like an adult writing a screenplay and more like what would a teenager actually do? That's a fair you know? take. I, I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate that point of view. I appreciate you, but I also <laughs> appreciate you. that point of view. Thanks, Eric. Um, as they're getting outside, they uh, they see an army helicopter fly past. Rah, rah, okay, Wait, finally. You blew by the fact they had like cases and cases of Cokes and Sprite. Oh, you're right. I and shouldn't I'm have like, done that. I, it just was funny, a visual, but then I thought, like, that's really not enough. Like, you're going to be thirsty quick because... You can't just necessarily drink any old water you find out yeah. there. Like you need to boil sick it from it or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't. That'd be a very real issue, especially in the winter. Like everything freezes up, and then you're really going to be thirsty. And the, or and mountain the, snow. I and guess. The interesting thing is, in a rare instance, Coke might actually not be such a bad thing to have up there. You got caffeine. You got sugar boost. Yeah, for sure. Right. I mean, it's. But yeah, you're right. They had like a whole pallet. <laughs> cases of, and cases of <laughs> it. Like so much soda. Like, These boys are probably just chugging them up oh, there. Oh, I know. <laughs> but yeah. Why didn't the dad get go with him? Go with him. Like, why did he stay I, behind? I fully, I, that's, if you could see my notes, I said, I, I wrote down here, <laughs> not sure why the dad wouldn't want to go with him. Yeah, exactly. Cause yeah, I'm like, I'll stay here. Cause he's telling him basically go and hide and don't, don't come back until someone comes and tells you it's safe. Right. And like, like you could, I'm going to stay here and guard the store. <laughs> right, I don't know. Like, you've given us everything. Yeah. You was, don't need to stay a, here anymore. We've completely looted it. Right. Yeah. Like, come with us. Yeah. And he doesn't even leave to go, like, to rescue the mom. Right. Maybe either. he's like, I got to go get my, I got to go get your mom. Right. That would make all the sense in the world. Like, right. okay. And that, how long does it take us to come up with that? Idea? <laughs> Two seconds. Like, ten sec and and right. it would take no screen time. Um, but anyway, so then they're driving away and we cut to the cab of the truck and. Uh, Swayze tells Sheen to get into the glove box and he pulls out this like antique single action Colt 45 pistol, six round pistol. Yeah. It's a, get it's my, a, get my loaded gun out of the glove box, <laughs> little brother. Put it in my jacket pocket. Just stick it on in there. <laughs> it, but it was an 1873 model Colt Peacemaker, mm -hmm. which yep. was the same gun that Marty McFly had in Back to the Future 3. I love that. Yeah. And yeah, it's that's um, the Colt Peacemaker. It's a classic gun. I mean, it is, it's a classic gun. And apparently the premise of the movie, and I don't remember it's it was his, movie, it was his grandfather's gun. gun. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So there's like, there's, historical context for and this, this the gun has its own sort of through line it does in the film. yeah, yeah. It, it we'll see that gun multiple times over the course of the movie so as they're driving along uh, pistol and jacket pocket where it belongs um they reach a military roadblock you know what? his his granddaddy would have been like a teddy 
uh, oh, Roosevelt's yeah. contemporary. He probably. probably he probably rode with it with he Teddy. Was a rough rider. He was probably yeah. was a rough rider. Yeah, I totally believe that. And I suspect that they were probably implying that given the weapon that he had. Sure. So yeah, but they they get to um, a military roadblock and I. With a tank. With a tank. Where the fuck did that tank come from? Did it drop from the plane too? I don't know how I mean, that got... can happen, but and this is this is part of the logistics that I kept coming back to over and over again is some of the initial equipment that they have right out of the gate and yeah. the location of it. And it would just some of this was like, okay, I'm gonna go with you, movie, because I want the movie to happen. But <laughs> there's a part of me going, ah, I, I don't can't know walk about out this. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> Suffice it to say, this roadblock does have a tank. And so Patrick Swayze panics, drives off the field through a fence. The tank shoots a couple of times, misses, but then the U.S. helicopter comes back, thank God, wipes out the roadblocks. And I do love this. Arturo takes a couple of shots at the roadblock. Why not? Why not? Get a little bit in, right? Maybe, I don't know, maybe it is realistic for this time and place in the country, but Every single one of these boys seems very comfortable and familiar with handling and shooting firearms. Yeah, you know? it wouldn't surprise me up in the mountains of Colorado in the 80s like this. Yeah, I mean, there are a bunch of ranchers up there for the most part. Yeah. You know, it's it's a small, tiny little mountain town, you know. But I, I do this next scene I love is uh, somehow it's not explained, but the, <laughs> it's very weird. Maybe a stray bullet hit the radiator. That's, that's what I thought probably yeah, happened. I, I agree. It just it like seems a, like, but he's patched it up. Yeah. Because that's a thing you can do. Right. You just have the tools at, on hand. Although in the very beginning, he said, I'm going to the shop. Like, and I thought maybe he's a mechanic. Maybe he is. But he could have then. Shouldn't he have said, I'm going to the, to the, to the body shop or whatever. I'm going to the mechanic. I'm. I don't know, but I'm gonna. I'm gonna give the movie credit and say that he said he was working at a shop. It's a car shop, and he knows how to fix this. And shit. so we can believe it. Suffice it to say, the radiator is fixed. But where are we gonna get water? <laughs> and I just. I love this. I love this bit. Martin Sheen or Charlie Sheen suggests that they can piss in the radiator as a as a surrogate to water, and Patrick Swayze is like, "Shit, that's gonna work. That's and a good idea. That's a good idea." And he tells Tanny to piss in the radiator. With a loaded weapon in <laughs> hand, he's like, "Get up there and piss in that radiator, kid." And I love. I know you may or may not need to piss, but get up there and start pissing. Well, he clearly did because he does. But the line that I love is, and this is another one of my favorite lines. When you grow up, you'll you'll know these things, Danny. <laughs> now piss in the radiator. <laughs> What's also weird is like that is a small target to hit. He's like standing on the bumper of the truck. I'm like, I feel like you would just like, if you're doing it, you're going to piss in a jug and then you pour the jug into the radiator. <laughs> yeah. so then he's like, no, get up there and just aim, <laughs> right aim your best it. you can. You're pissing all over the engine. I mean, we've all been, we've all been young boys. We know we love aiming our pee. <laughs> I mean, every young boy loves yeah. aiming their pee. When, so you're, when you're older, you'll understand. You'll son. understand. <laughs> you know these things. That's hilarious. Uh. But uh, anyway, so... Uh, now night falls, night one on what is about to be a very long winter for these young men. Um, a U.S. helicopter is making strafing runs all over Calumet, blowing shit up indiscriminately. And a colonel, Colonel Bella, yeah, shows yeah. up speaking Spanish. That was played by Ron O'Neill, who is most, <laughs> most known for being like the lead in Superfly. I mentioned, but I'm like, okay, cool. I yeah. didn't know that. But he he's, plays a convincing Cuban or Nicaraguan or whatever he's supposed to be. 
Yeah, the only weird thing is how slowly he speaks Spanish over the course of the movie. And I don't get the sense that he's not fluent in the language, but yeah. it was such an odd choice for him to speak so slowly because it didn't feel deliberate. It felt like he was giving a lecture to a high school Spanish yeah, class. Yeah, he speaks with... Yeah, but I, but I, I was sort of... I appreciated whatever he was bringing to this role. <laughs> no, I love the I character. He was one of my favorite characters. <laughs> Although it, it was weird to keep jumping back to his perspective. And I think, again, it, it's an artifact of what the original script was before Milius showed yeah, up. Yeah, probably like leftover remnants. Right, exactly. But anyway, he's explaining to one of his subordinates how to repel U.S. tanks. Um, and there's there's actually also a Rusky here. There, yeah, there, so like, there is a Russian here doing intelligence. And we talked about this maybe while we were recording or maybe the drinks already kicked in. I can't remember <laughs> if it was before. But there's like a whole lot happening in this small town that doesn't seem to have any strategic significance. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. There's like, if, if, I feel you could have said like it could have been that there's a missile silo nearby or some valuable airstrip or like railroad lines or something, but it's not mentioned i don't know they ever really give a mention there's a throwaway line later that will come up that we can dwell on yeah. at that point <laughs> we can but for now about. we're like this seems like the most podunk of podunk towns like why and they calumet? dropped like a hundred troops on it <laughs> i know like it doesn't matter calumet can do what they want you know what i mean like we could take bigger cities and this is just the first wave i mean as we get into farther into the movie i mean the amount of military might that descends <laughs> on calumet colorado is intense yeah. <laughs> another five more <laughs> five more brigades or whatever yeah, yeah. we need 10 battalions in calumet yes. Um, anyway, so Bella tells the the intelligence soldier to go to the sporting goods store, yeah, which apparently has a reg has a record of all the registered firearms in Calumet. How the fuck would he know that shit? And like, also, how could he possibly know that? He like knew what file to look in, right? I know and stuff. I'm like, maybe they had like intelligence being gathered before the invasion, but and shit. Also, famously, Americans are really reluctant to register their firearms. Yeah, right? also true. <laughs> so I, I, when I heard that line, I'm like, good for you. Like that, that's a thoughtful thing that you would do in a country that is responsible about their firearms. <laughs> but in the United States, no one pays attention to that unless they don't have any other choice. So I wonder, honestly, how effective it actually was. But uh, <laughs> suffice it to say, uh, we cut back to the mountains and uh, all the boys are in camp, and it is just, it's a terrifying time. I mean, understandably, yeah. they are freaked out. And Darren, uh, he reckons that they're not going to last long up in the mountains with the limited surprises, and so he proposes that they should surrender. That was weird to me. That comment, like, warrants a fucking slap in the mouth. Yeah, like, I, I, I student totally body agree. president, I um, put forward a motion that we should just... <laughs> Go collaborate with the commies. <laughs> but but this is interesting. It is, whether intentionally or not, it is a bit of foreshadowing uh, yeah, for later true, in the movie. True. So, I mean, there is there is precedent for what he's doing. But Swayze doesn't brock any of that. It says, <laughs> hell no, we're not surrendering. Not and anybody who wants shit. to. <laughs> but he's got a point. It's too dangerous to like just go wandering back into town. We've seen them just killing people. Yeah, just indiscriminately. Yeah. 
So, uh, but Daryl comes back and says, this isn't the big game and calls him Mr. Quarterback. And then he's like, he, he's called him a jock. I think, yeah, he calls him a jock. It's bizarre. Yeah. But he chucks a can of soup or something in him or a can of soda. Yeah. He yeah, some, some sort of, I think it was a can of uh, soup actually. Yeah. Then he takes a weak swing. Yeah. It takes a really, <laughs> it's a really pitiful swing, which Swayze easily uh, 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 deflects. <laughs> he quickly kicked his ass. <laughs> I love it. I'm not like a big Swayze worshiper guy like a lot of people are, but you can't deny like his his charisma and like he's got a natural sort of sen like a sense of authority about him. I mean, him. Th he, this was a great role for him. Yeah. I thought he was fantastic in this movie. I mean, he was good it, with good reason, like one of the best parts of the movie. Right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, for sure. Sort of the... <laughs> The strong person who's thrust into the role of leadership when he Reluctant doesn't really want to be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he plays it perfect. Yeah. Anyway, he says, go on if you want to get out of here. And he says, uh, it's World War Three down there, and they are much safer staying put than, um, than if they went back down there. And their families would want them to be safe. This is probably true. Which is true. I mean, yeah. everything that he's saying is like, yeah, that's, that's pretty legit. Anyway, uh, so C. Thomas Howell and Charlie Sheen say that they're going to stay with Swayze because, of course. Yeah. Right. I'm, I was obsessed with C. Thomas Howell's hat. Oh, we got the, the Star hat. Wars hat with the curled up brim <laughs> yeah, on it. Like, dude. I loved that. And then it's got to be a shout out to his friend George Lucas, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, be. there's no way that that was not an absolute I, shout out to actually, Lucas. What everyone was wearing seemed cool to me. Like, oh, they all had the puffy jackets on and stuff like that. Like, I just love the mountain, like, style. In yeah, general, I totally whatever, did. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, I I would have moved to Colorado just to have an excuse to wear that clothes. Wear that shit. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so Swayze tells everybody to leave if you're going to leave. Now all of a sudden, no one wants to leave. Good. That's that's what we want to see. <laughs> right. It's like say, okay, if you're staying, you just do what the fuck I say. Right. I'm Which in is charge. like sort of like so we're going to be having a dictatorship here, which is a strange. Like, I'm like, wait, now you've become, <laughs> you know, this authoritarian, like... Sometimes you have to abandon freedom to save freedom, Kevin. Sometimes you have to so. abandon freedom to save freedom. But in Did you read instance, the same thing I did that, that Milius did, like, most of the directing of the movie through Swayze? Like, had told Swayze <laughs> to tell the actors this and that to sort of keep him in, like, a leadership position or whatever? Yeah, I did read that. With the rest that. of the cast? And, and it, it appropriately, according to Swayze, it created tension between him and the rest of the cast okay which which i mean you can see that you can feel that in the yeah, movie right yeah, yeah and so whether emilius did it because he was a lazy director or because he knew <laughs> that that would what be what would be fostered he's cleaning his gun right, right? <laughs> drinking whiskey and cleaning, cleaning my gun his, yeah, that's right he's like you go tell him this <laughs> i gotta clean my gun again <laughs> but either way it works and that kind of that that tension it does come through pretty authentically in the movie, in my opinion. So <laughs> everybody apologizes to each other and they get warmed by the campfire. And then uh, uh, Swayze <laughs> says that he and his brother, Charlie, have been coming up to the mountains for a long time. And that, you know what? They can stay up in the mountains and hunt and fish until this whole thing blows over. Sure. Yeah. I appreciated the moment where um, uh, Swayze and Darren Dalton, like, Let's shake hands and patch it up. But I would have loved it if Swayze like hit, hit him with the like the thumb to the eye. Bam! <laughs> like some dirty wrestling. Hadouken! <laughs> Choke slam his ass. That would have been great just to like put him in his place a little bit, right? <laughs> but, tiger! <laughs> tiger uppercut! Tiger! <laughs> Fucking just crush his windpipe. Fucking Darren Dalton, you bitch. Uh. 
Poor poor Daryl gets his later in the movie. Yeah, though. he does. He gets a rough. Uh, he a gets rough a rough. Yeah. Okay, anyway. Anyway. So now it's October. Everybody's it settling. Already be getting cold as hell out there. Oh my god, up in the mountains like yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Oh, for, and and true to life, this movie was so cold. I mean, if you read some of the reports on the temperatures that they hit up there while they were filming this. Yeah, that's wild. Like fucking Milius was going for it. Yeah. He's like, no, we're going and we're filming in winter. Yeah. Kids. Apparently. I guess you had to though. Otherwise the trees would be like full of leaves and stuff. Yeah, so absolutely. if you want it to look like winter, it's got to be winter. Especially because they were really filming in the wilderness up there. Yeah. You can't fake that. Uh, I mean, it was filmed on location in Las Vegas, New Mexico. Right. Which is like the northern part. High altitude though. Yeah. Like the high super desert. high altitude. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and on the coldest day of shooting, it was negative 30 degrees Celsius. That's the shit I saw, too. Which yeah. is unbelievably cold. Brutal. So they, they're settling into their survivalist life. And then C. Thomas Howell, he kills a deer, a big one with a rifle, who uh-huh. he gets such a good strike. The deer falls where it's shot. And so they show up and Patrick Swayze immediately uh, stops Thomas Howell, who's about to shoot it again. And he says, no, 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 no. If you shoot again, they can spot our location. This is probably r- wise. Which is, yeah, right? it's not, that's not a bad advice. Like, shoot as rarely as you can, if, you know? Yeah. Also, I would think you got to conserve every bullet is also a good strategy. Absolutely. And Swayze says, anyway, whatever. It's dead already. And he kneels on the ground <laughs> and slits the deer's throat. Yeah. So he immediately begins to field strip, start to field strip the deer. And... Then uh, the Sheen and, and Swayze tell Thomas Howell, hey, since this is your first kill, you got to drink the blood to gain the spirit of the deer. Yeah, right. <laughs> he's like, uh, he's like, well, our daddy taught us we had to do it. And it turns into like a real like it almost a spiritual moment. I mean, like this isn't yes. this isn't a prank. Like they're taking this seriously. Yeah. He gathered him a little mug of blood. Yeah. And he downs it. I mean, he he goes hard for it. Right. Then I feel like in a thing where the editor just like fell asleep at the switch. Yeah, because he just keeps saying it wasn't so, so bad. bad. That wasn't, wasn't so, so bad. He's like, he's like, just keep giving us different deliveries. That wasn't so bad. That wasn't so bad. Three times in a row he said it. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, but it was. I don't know. For me, it, it actually kind of worked because it showed because Thomas Howell's character does uh, some of the biggest growth. He starts as like the youngest, and he yeah. becomes like one of the most cold-blooded in the movie. This was a movie, the only movie maybe of C. Thomas Howell's career that I've seen him in where I'm like, oh, I can see why this kid was like pegged for being like, you're going to be a big star. Yeah. Because he gave a strong performance too. He was, yeah. He was really strong in it. And so the way I took that is like, that was sort of his transition from... Kid yeah, I'm a killer now. Warrior. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's the way I interpreted it. But yeah, I I also think that it was like Millius was like, just give us three versions of it, and then the editor we'll forget the, to pick yeah, one. Yeah, no, use them all. They were all fine. They were all good. <laughs> but so they're back, they're back at camp, and they're opening the I guess the last of their Campbell's the can of soup. One can of soup among six like young men is gonna not go very far. No, that is not gonna go far at all. And he says that this is the only other canned food that they have other than olives. Why which who is, grabbed all the olives? <laughs> the olives, exactly. That's what I'm making martinis up here. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's a big James Bond fan. But they they bicker about the the merits of the meat that they're killing by hunting, and I'm like, that was weird. That deer that they killed would have fed, fed their that entire group for a month. He's like, easily. yeah, because Charlie Sheen's like, we got plenty of meat, and then that dude Danny is like, only the stuff you shot, right? And it's like, like, what? Yeah, that's the that's, point, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Then, then dude is like, 
where do you, yeah, he was like, where do you think hamburgers come from? He's like, you don't shoot them. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's like, I don't know what you think is going on, Danny, but <laughs> yeah, I know. these animals like, aren't like going peacefully. It was an interesting commentary on the nature of how disconnected from our food Americans are. Yeah. Th- this movie had all these little bits of like commentary that would sneak in every once in yeah. a while. And it wasn't clear to me if that was intentional or not. Anyway. Uh, so Darren uh, Dalton, who plays Daryl, he suggests that they try to go back into town, see what the situation is, and... Which, that's a fair point. It is, I at like, some point. I, I can't believe it's been even a month already, or whatever it's been, and they haven't already snuck back down to try to get a read on what's happening in I mean, town. at the very least, they need to resupply, right? I mean... Yeah. But anyway, so Patrick Swayze agrees. Yeah. And... That's a good good point to (laughs) wrap it up. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I think so. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, uh, the movie's awesome. Oh, This is a fast and furious beginning. I loved it. Yeah, Yeah. I love how quickly it got into it. It hits the ground running, this movie. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's no point in just beating around the bush. Let's get to the invasion and let's see how it goes down. Yeah, so we'll be back next week, uh, dear listeners, with more on Red Dawn. So, uh, from Kevin and Eric, <laughs> yeah, stay safe out there. And if, um, if any commies attack 80s style commies, 80s style, make sure. sure you got your uh, single action Colt uh, 45 and we'll be back. 